0: in uh, preparation for our uh, the message this morning we will be reading from uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 8 verses 7 to 13 that's Hebrews chapter 8 verses 7 to 13 if you have your Bibles with you please open them in that portion of scripture and join me in reading God's word let's all rise in reverence to the word of God Hebrews 8: 7 to 13. For if that first covenant had been free of fault, no circumstances would have been sought for a second. For in finding fault with the people, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will bring about a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care about them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their their minds And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach each one his fellow citizen, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the last to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful toward their wrongdoings and their sins, I will no longer remember. When he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear. Praise God for the reading of his word. You will now be seated.
1: Thank you. Brother Eddie, for leading the worship this morning. For Brother Doy, for reading the Word of God. Can we have the first slide? The main point of the author in Hebrews, particularly chapter 8, is that Christ is the perfect high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. He sits at the highest authority and is the mediator of a better covenant. No earthly priest or religious leader is like Christ. No one can compare to who he is. This was part of our message last Sunday. And just allow me to uh, read Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 to 6, so that I will be able to establish and lay down the context of our message this morning. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, it is written, Now the main point in what has been said is this, We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. This is the main point. Uh, the author is saying that the Christ is the perfect high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. So, Jesus is not only a high priest. He sits at the highest authority and he is the mediator of a better covenant. So, remember that during this time, they, have, they still have the high priest. So, nung time po, when Hebrews was written, they still have this earthly high priest. And they still have their sacrificial laws and their sacrificial traditions, their traditions and culture of sacrificing, particularly now in the temple. And so, people might be saying, okay we have a high priest, we have, a, we have an earthly high priest, but where is this high priest that you're talking of? And so the author of Hebrews says that he sits at the highest authority in heaven. So uh, this is a picture of someone who is not just sitting, but who is in authority. The, the, the posture of sitting is is... Of not only of authority but also of a finished work. Unlike the high priest, they need to, the earthly high priest, they need to continuously perform and, and do this, these ceremonies every day. But this high priest is not only in authority but he is sitting and he is done. And so no earthly priest or religious leader is like Christ and no one can compare to who he is. In verse 6, it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. And so with this, The Jewish believers should not even think of leaving the faith. They should not even think of it. Because they have a a high priest who is perfect and who is in authority and doesn't need to to perform all these rituals. Yet, it's sad to know and say that during this time, there are still apostates. An apostate is someone who may have learned about God but still have decided to reject Him. And maybe if I would ask you today, next slide, would you leave Christ if you have truly known Him? Would you leave Christ if you have truly known Him? Uh, Maybe you will say, Doc, of course, that's a rhetorical question. My answer to that is never. I would never leave Christ. I would never even think of leaving Christ. But let me say that during the time that Hebrews was written, there were people, there were Jewish believers. No, they're not perhaps really believers or genuine believers, but they may have heard Christ, but still they have turned their back from him. Um, and maybe in our time today. We can still see these people. And I hope. <laughs> we will not be one of those. Who would reject Christ. And so would you leave Christ. If you have truly known him. Now let me say that. People who leave Christ. They do not belong to him in the first place. So even if they think that they do, they are not. Now let me add to this that, next slide, people who live or reject Christ have not really known him. To the point that they fully repented of their sins and trusted him. People leave or reject Christ because they have not yet reached this point in their lives that they have genuinely repented of their sins and truly believed in Him. The point. What is this point? Some would say this is the turning point of their Christian lives this is their lowest point in their lives where God allowed them to experience this so that by realizing that he or she is broken and one is not able to save oneself, that becomes a turning point of trusting Christ, submitting to him. A point where a person realizes that he is broken and that he cannot save himself. Next slide. So our message this morning is entitled New Covenant in Christ. This is a maybe a heavy word or term for us, so can we just take this time to pause and commit uh, this study to the Lord. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, once more we come before you in humility. We thank you for allowing us to be here. And by your grace, we are here together in worshiping you, in glorifying you, and now studying your word. We pray that you give us the capacity not only to understand your word, but also enable us to live out your word. Allow us, Lord, to live this out in our lives. Allow your word not only to be planted in our hearts, but allow it to grow roots. Allow us, Lord, to mature and bear fruit so that these fruits we will be able to plant as seeds to other people. And by your grace, it will also grow. And it will also mature, and they also will bear fruit, and they will also do the same to others. So Lord, we commit to you this time as we study your word. May your name alone be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Now one of the problems that we encounter whenever we study Or we encounter certain words or term in our study is It could be one, vague Or it could be too ambiguous So a word or a term is vague when When we cannot assign uh, a definition or a meaning to it We cannot, we don't know how to apply this, this term And so it becomes blurred or unclear Or it can be ambiguous when there's so many meanings or interpretations that, that, that we can have in a particular term. In other words, you can have your own meaning, you can have your own interpretation, I can also have my own. And so this word, this term, this phrase becomes vague and ambiguous and then disputes and arguments would now ensue. Now how do we lessen these disputes or this vagueness or this ambiguity? We can lessen it, we can decrease it by being able to define these words or these terms. There's so many ways to define things and objects. Like for example, the, the most simple is when you point out okay, that object. Like when I point out what is an electric fan, I point out to a real electric fan so you get an idea what is an electric fan without really defining it. So i just pointing it out. The problem is if you have other kinds of fans. So you need now to enumerate other electric fans like, for example, a ceiling fan or a wall fan or a desk fan or a stand fan. So you get an idea of uh, what it is. Now another is to go back to its root word, the etymological definition. Like, for example, when we define covenant in its root word, we go to the prefix co, co, meaning together. And then the Latin or the French word of convenir, where we also get the, the terms convention or convene, which would be an agreement or a gathering of people, a meeting of minds. So that is one way to define A term now there's another way for me this is one of the easier ways you get the word the definition and then get the general class of it like for example if you want to define let's say uh, a wife you get that's a specific right specific wife you get the, the, the genus the general term so that's a woman And then get the difference. Anong difference nito with a single person, for example? So the difference is that she is married. So now you have a simple definition of a wife, a married woman. Or let's say a son. Uh, Let's say male. Uh, That's an offspring. So you have a male offspring. Or the Bible, for example. How do you define the Bible? It's a book. But what is the difference between the Bible and their other historical, scientific, or math books? Well, this is the Word of God, so it's holy. So the def- the simple definition is that it is a holy book. Now, when we go to the term covenant, it is simply defined as an agreement. Oh, an agreement. So, but there are also different kinds of covenant. In fact. We have in the Bible, we have an old and a new covenant, and these are also agreements with God. And so, the definition, the difference with these covenants, with other covenants like a marriage covenant or a contractual covenant, is that it is divine. So, the covenant, the biblical covenant, is a divine agreement, and it is God who initiated the new covenant now what's the difference between the old and the new covenant well the old covenant is conditional it has conditions in exodus chapter 19 verses 4 to 6 it's written there that uh, remember this passage he just right after the Israelites were saved by God from the slavery of, of Egypt and, and the Pharaoh and Egyptians, he says to them, he gives this, this old covenant with them where he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you in eagle's wings and brought you to myself. In verse 5, the if and then, uh, the, the conditional covenant. Now, Then if you will indeed obey my voice and my covenant and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So this is the old covenant. And this old covenant has a condition. And that is, if you will obey and keep my covenant, then I will bless you, I will, I will make you a holy nation, etc. And so, what is this old covenant? What is that that they need to keep? And that is the law. And that is the Mosaic law. And God would write this in tablets so that if the Israelites would keep and follow and obey these covenants in an external perspective, then they will be blessed. Now, the new covenant is different. The new covenant is different. Why? Because it is superior to the old covenant. So it's not only superior and different it is also better. So take note of those qualifying words. The new covenant is superior, it is different, and it is better. Why is it different? Well, the most significant difference is that Christ himself is the new covenant. Uh, Jesus Christ is the new covenant. If you recall in Matthew chapter 26, particularly in verse 28, also written in Mark 14, uh, verse 9, uh, and also in Luke 22, verse 20, uh, the time when Jesus was having his last supper with the disciples, he said that this is my blood, and it was pertaining to the wine that they are about to partake and share together symbolizes this as my blood and this blood is of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. And there are a lot of biblical passages where Christ would say that he is the new covenant. And so another important difference is that God would write his laws in the minds and hearts of his chosen people. This is part of the new covenant. Therefore, his chosen people would obey because it would be in the hearts of these people to obey. And so the author would make it clear that Christ is superior to the religion of Judaism. Now the author, particularly in chapters 8 and 9, That would be our next message next Sunday. The author would highlight that the superior high priest mediates this superior and this better and this different kind of covenant. Why is there a need for a better covenant? One, the first covenant was not without fault first covenant was not without fault. That was why there was a need for a new covenant to replace it. God found fault in the people who kept breaking their commitment to obey. God rendered the old obsolete. Let's look at the following verses. Verse 7. For it that first covenant, if that first covenant pertaining to the old covenant, had been free of fault no circumstances would have been sought for a second. In other words, there's no need for a new covenant or a second covenant if the old covenant is already perfect. So God made it that the first covenant, the old covenant, is really not so perfect. So that we will be able to appreciate the new covenant. So some might ask, why do God needs to why does he need to 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 give an old covenant? Why not immediately give the new covenant? Well, for one, we will not be able to appreciate the new if we don't know the old. Maybe you will say you will not be able to appreciate what is peace if you don't know what is war. You will not be able to appreciate love if you don't know hate. So one will not, may not be able to understand the new if there is no old. Verse 8, For in finding fault with the people, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will bring about a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now several things, the old covenant law revealed sin. God, Gave it in such a way that it would reveal the weakness of man. That through the old covenant, he cannot say that he will be saved because he will not be able to follow all these laws. And so instead, it showed that the people cannot obey. No man or woman cannot stand up to the standards. Of the law. Everyone failed to obey it. Now it's also important to note that this was a quotation of the author from Jeremiah chapter 31. Remember, Jeremiah 31 is a prophecy. So, meaning to say, God already gave and revealed this new covenant. Even before he made it and allowed it to be fulfilled in Christ. So he already revealed this to them through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. Where Jeremiah speaking uh, and God speaking through Jeremiah also says the same thing. Behold days are coming declares the Lord. Remember, the context is in the Old Testament. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So it initially starts with Israel. But we know that later on, through the work of God in the life of Paul the Apostle, it will extend to the Gentiles and to our time today. And so God intended the old covenant to be imperfect, to prepare for the perfect high priest who was also the perfect sacrifice who would mediate the perfect covenant. And we will talk more about this in detail, particularly in chapter 9 where the author would point by point uh, differentiate the old from the new. And since the new covenant is superior to the old, and it was fulfilled in Christ, of course, Christ made the old covenant obsolete. It's now obsolete. Verse 13, it says, When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about obsolete. To disappear. So when the author of the Hebrews was, well, sharing this, and those who have read this, that the obsolete is growing old and is about to disappear. True enough, there would come a point, a time in the history of Israel, that the high priests and the sacrificial laws that they do in their temple would eventually disappear. Now, second point is that the new covenant is unlike the former that God made with the Jewish ancestors. God led them by the hand out of Egypt, but they did not remain faithful. Thus, God turned away from them. The words God turning away from them means judgment. Verse 9, not like the covenant, the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt pertaining to the Exodus 19 covenant. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care about them, says the Lord. Again, quoting this time Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 32. The phrase, I did not care about them, also means I turned my back on them, which reflected the times when God poured out his wrath. And his judgment before Israel. Yes, the old covenant promised blessings. God promised that they would be a holy nation, there would be blessings, but it came with promises of curses as well. That if they don't obey and keep God's covenant, they will be judged. And one of the significant consequences of disobeying the old covenant was that the enemies of Israel will defeat them and cause them to scatter across the nations. And that's what happened to them. For the third and final point, the author mentioned that God would write his laws in their minds and hearts. That's transformation. this. That Keep that word in your mind. Thus, they would be his people. Second, they will know God personally. And this is not just a head knowledge, uh, knowing God, but this is a personal relationship with God. And God would forgive and forget their sins as he would render the old obsolete. Let's look at the final verses that we have. Verse 10, For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. This is now the new covenant that he's talking of. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This time, the new covenant will not have a condition. It's an unconditional covenant. In fact, it is now God who would uh, put the laws and write the laws. Of course, he was the one who wrote the laws in the tablets, the mosaic law. Now he would write his laws in the minds and in the hearts of those whom he has chosen to be his people. God would no longer write on tablets of stone but in the hearts and minds of his people. Now the laws of God would no longer be primarily an external thing that one is burdened to obey. It will now be an internal thing where God himself writes this laws and transforms that person And it will enable that person to be able to obey his laws. Now, if you may ask, what are these laws that God would write in the hearts and in the minds of his people? Well, first, it would not be the civil laws the man-made laws because it is God's laws. This would be the commands that God gave through Christ as explained in the New Testament. Of course, Christ would somehow improve these laws. In the old, when you say adultery, it's an act of having a a relationship outside marriage or another relationship, sexual relationship outside marriage. Yet in the New Testament, Jesus would qualify adultery as even thinking of lustful thoughts of another person to another person or on another person and so these are now the laws that god would write in the hearts of his chosen people through christ as explained in the new testament therefore god's chosen would be a true follower in the context of obedience, a true disciple of Christ. So first, every true believer will experience transformation. Please say that in your minds. Transformation. There would be transformation as God would now write His laws in the hearts and in the minds of His people. Now if you go farther reading Jeremiah chapter 31, if you go to Jeremiah chapter 32, God through Jeremiah will also say that God will also write the fear of God in the hearts of His people. Not only His laws, but also the fear of of God yung hindi lang yung yung, yung yung righteousness knowing what is good and what is not or being able to to obey them and being able to do them but also having this fear of God so every true believer experiences this transformation there is a desire to fulfill the commands of scripture You now desire to to fulfill and to obey and to know these laws of God through Christ. So faith-filled obedience is the result of this transformation. Perhaps you would say that before I did not have this desire to obey the word. Now there is this natural tendency to obey Verse 11, and they will not teach each one his fellow citizen. There's no more need to really teach. And each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. It will become a natural response. So if you speak of God, it's natural for them to know God from the least to the greatest of them. This is another better promise Uh, in the new covenant, mediated by Christ. It is The natural knowledge of God. By the way, this type of knowledge is not just a head knowledge. Just like when you know something. It is a personal relationship. So you will desire to have this personal relationship with God to the point that you commune with Him directly, to the point that you worship Him, to the point that you regard Him. Always. Not only During times of problems. But every time. So when God writes his laws in a person, he also makes himself known to that person. Thus, it is a personal relationship with God. And third, he says, for I will be merciful toward their wrongdoings and their sins. I will no longer remember. Will not remember their sins anymore. Now, humanly speaking, in my personal experience, it is difficult to forget, right? Especially if that person has offended us. Now, it's difficult to forget an offense made by someone to us. Uh, this happens in the relationship between the husband and the wife. So whenever there is an argument, there is this natural tendency to go back and remember those times of disloyalty and those times of uh, being unfaithful. Yet, for God, He will not remember those sins. Not because God, is a forgetful God in a literal sense. But because of this covenant through Christ, He justifies and forgives our sins. So, question as I end with these three applications. Now we know that the new covenant in Christ is superior Than the old. We know that it is different because it is through Christ Himself. And it is better because a person is transformed in the new covenant. He gets to know God in a personal way. And his sins are forgiven and forgotten by God Himself. My question is next slide. Do you think God has written his laws, his fear in our minds, in our hearts? Can you honestly answer this by yourself with God as the only one who can hear and know our thoughts? That you have reached that point, that turning point in your life wherein God has written His loss and His fear in our hearts, in your hearts and your minds to the point that you have surrendered to a point that you have repented and turned your back from your sins and you have committed and you have, you have uh, submitted and, and, and surrendered your life fully trusting the new covenant fulfilled in Him. Now, if if you're watching this in the YouTube, whether live or at a later time, or if you're here today and if your answer to this question is, Doc, I don't think so. Understand the relevance of the new covenant in Christ. The old covenant revealed the guilt of the people. And the old covenant, the law will never save us because we will not be able to fulfill these. In fact, it led to judgment because the people could not obey. But the new covenant, we have a perfect high priest that mediates it and it has better promises this includes transformation. It includes knowing God in a personal way. And it includes forgiveness of sins. Now, by the way, when God says the new covenant is given, is fulfilled, He's not referring to another or a third covenant that would follow. The new covenant is the last covenant and it will be an eternal covenant so brothers and sisters god would personally deal well in the old testament through high priests but now in the new covenant god would deal with every believer individually through the holy spirit the true believer cannot deny the experience of that transformation within. You will not be able to deny this. In fact, people will even see this. People will will even, will even commend or, or comment not that you have changed. For a new desire has come. And this desire is to know Him and to obey Him. And his word. So, brothers and sisters, if you haven't made that personal decision to believe in Christ as the new covenant, as the mediator of the new covenant, as the fulfillment of the new covenant, let us decide right now. Surrender our sins before God, turn back, repent of our sins, and believe. Put your trust in Christ alone. Now, second application. If you're here and use your answer to this question, do I have the loss and the fear of God written already in my mind, in my heart? If your answer is yes, then praise God. Praise God. And praise Him and sincerely thank Him eternally. Be eternally grateful and worship Him and praise Him all the days of your life. God would write His commands in the minds and hearts of all who genuinely believe. God would also make Himself known in a personal way. And God's people would have the desire to obey Him. Now we call this phenomenon as regeneration. Some would say it's rebirth. Some will say it's a new life. Some would even say it is being born anew, born again, being reborn. The new covenant is mainly with Israel, but God extended it to the Gentiles and to our time today. In the same way as the old covenant benefited Gentiles who believed, The promises of the new covenant extends to us today. The non-Jewish genuine believers. Paul the Apostle revealed this mystery in his epistles that God included the Gentiles in the new covenant in Christ. Therefore, we must glorify God all the days of our life for extending this promise us and to the next generation, let us continuously, consistently, and eternally praise and thank God for writing his commands in our hearts and in our minds. Now, let me also encourage all of us to proclaim God's forgiveness Maybe God has written his loss, his fear in your hearts, in our hearts, in our minds. But how about our parents? How about the children? How about your loved ones, your friends, your classmates, your co workers, your employees? How about our neighbor? In the new covenant in Christ, God forgives and forgets sins. Therefore, we must proclaim the gospel of Christ. He commanded that his followers should proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the result of genuine repentance is the supernatural transformation of the heart and the mind. And this happens only by the grace of of God through faith no man can seek God by himself for no man is righteous Thus, salvation is the work of God alone let me just repeat that salvation is the work of God alone yet we have been commanded to make disciples And to proclaim the gospel to all nations. In the process, when we obey God's command of proclaiming the gospel throughout the nations, we will see His miraculous power transforming the lives of these people. Allowing them to also know God in a personal way and for their sins to be forgiven and forgotten as well. God writes his laws in our hearts and in the minds of all who believe. Therefore, to those who have truly believed in God, God enables these chosen people to be able to obey His loss. Salvation is the solely work of God. God can only save. Yet he commands us to proclaim. Christ's suffering. Christ's death and resurrection from the dead. And he commands us to proclaim repentance. For the forgiveness of sin allow me to end with a poem written by our senior pastor and in behalf of him as we remember him in our in our prayer, he went to Cavite to uh, visit his mother uh, of course we know that uh, brother Ed has back issues you know, back pains, and so the traveling Going back and forth would be a struggle for him. Yet he extends this poem to us as an encouragement. He continues to minister to us and shepherd us through these poems. And I hope that as we read it and as we understand it, we will truly, truly, genuinely, believe, and receive the new covenant in Christ. The new covenant in Christ, the old revealed man's guilt and sin. The people failed to obey him. Therefore, he introduced his son on the cross, his work counted done. A perfect sacrifice offered, the son of God died and suffered. To effect the new covenant with better promises to grant. In the new, God would write his law on hearts and minds despite our flaw. His spirit leads us to obey and confirm Christ the only way. God would choose his people in Christ, perfect high priest who sacrificed so that we may know God within. Thus, our minds and hearts rest in Him. Shall we stand and close in prayer? Heavenly Father, in a posture of brokenness and humility, With an acknowledgement and realization that our being humans, our nature, with this sinful tendency, we will not be able to obey and follow the old covenant through the law just as the Jewish just as the Israelites and perhaps the Gentiles during the time of the writing of Hebrews were not able to do as well it is the same in our generation and in our time today we continuously struggle fulfilling. All these laws that you have given and that man has improved or man has widened and man has further established, we are all guilty and therefore we are all sinners deserving your judgment and your punishment as you have said that all have sinned and fell short at the glory of God and that the penalty for sins the penalty of these sins is death this death doesn't only speak of a physical separation from the living and from this world speaks of an eternal separation from you Because we have sinned, we are separated from you. Not only physically, but also spiritually. Not only today, but forever. As you will punish by throwing these people, these lives, these souls in suffering and internal torment and pain in a place called lake of fire or hell. Yet by your grace, through Christ, you have rendered the old covenant obsolete and you have given us a superior, a different, and a better covenant with Christ as the mediator of it thank you Lord for dying on the cross for us and resurrecting so that you will defeat death and through your great work your perfect work sufficient and eternal work on the cross if we truly believe in you what you have done as you have promised we are saved and so we are eternally grateful for this so Lord allow us to respond by living holy lives by not even considering to turn our back from you by not even thinking reject you so Lord continue to enable us and empower us through the Holy Spirit that continuously transforms and sanctifies us becoming like Christ righteous perfect yet we struggle And we continue to struggle in this life. As you have also said that life will not be perfect and life will not be smooth sailing. In fact, you have warned us. You have told us to expect challenges, problems, difficulties, sufferings throughout our journey. But we know, Lord, that you have changed us. You have written your loss and fear in our hearts and our mind. That we are to endure. That we are able to finish and complete this journey. And in this life, Lord, thank you. Because we have the privilege of knowing you in a personal way. At the same time, having the assurance and the confidence that you have forgiven and forgotten our sins. So that on that day of judgment, we will not face your wrath and we will not face your anger and your justice. Rather, we will... Be expecting rewards, and we will expect to share the glory, not your glory as in glory, but the benefit and the glory in heaven. And help us, Lord, to be able to extend this by proclaiming these truths to other people, to our loved ones, to our friends, and our neighbors. Continue, Lord, to speak to us and reveal yourself to us in a personal way. Allow us, Lord, give us these opportunities to respond to you in faith, in obedience, and in trust. Pray for my brothers and sisters. I may not know them, Lord, but it is you who knows us personally and individually. So I lift them up to you. May your grace be upon all of us. Pray for our work, our businesses, our families, our ministries, and the things that we do. Allow this, Lord, to be an opportunity to give you the glory and the glory to be yours alone. I pray that you protect us and that you continue, Lord, to empower us and enable us to live such worthy lives, holy lives for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless us all and see you next Sunday.